0: You're listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast, brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. Our Public Policy and Regulation Group is a strong bipartisan team with deep ties throughout Washington, D.C. We have built a thriving government affairs practice through our depth of experience and diversity and by maintaining our bipartisan approach. The first 100 days of the Biden administration podcast series will take a look at the current political landscape and what listeners should anticipate to see from all facets of law facing this new administration.
1: Welcome to our Holland and Night Eyes on Washington podcast. With a review of the first 100 days of the Biden administration, we are very pleased to have you all joining us and we've got four former members of Congress uh, here with us today. Ron Klein and Jim Davis from the Democratic side. I guess we'll call that the left right now. And Tom Davis and Tom Reynolds from the right-hand side, or at least the moderate middle right-hand side to the right-hand side. And uh, I'm very lucky to be joined by Devin Barrett with us today from Holland at as well. So we wanted to kind of take a look at the Biden administration, um, what the first 100 days look like, how it compared to uh, previous administration beginnings, obviously, including um, the Trump and Obama administrations, and then what we have to look forward to um, moving forward based on those first 100 days. So Devin, let me me kick it over to you to kind of get started on the Q&A piece,
2: and we'll go from there. It's great to be here with all of you guys, you know, kind of kicking off with the first part, you know, how does this administration's first 100 days compare to, you know, past administrations, so obviously looking at the most immediate, um, you have the Trump administration comparison, but looking back to Clinton administration, Bush administration, uh, what are your guys' perspectives on that and, and how it compares to to past administrations?
3: Well, Devin, this is Jim. And I'll start by saying that I think the most easy comparison is to the first term of President Obama, where he inherited a a huge economic mess, regardless of who you want to give credit or blame to. But I think the better analogy is that uh, President Biden came in almost akin to a wartime president. Uh, The COVID was raging. Uh, We were behind and in disarray in terms of vaccine distribution and public safety not to mention the free fall in the economy. And I think as we discuss it today, regardless of our views, a lot of the focus has been on exactly those two issues, and it really has been a laser focus. First of all, um, in terms
4: of being wartime, the, the war was basically on its way out when President Biden came in because we had the vaccines uh, set, you had preliminary approval from the areas the economy was starting to open up. But he has, I think, taken a victory lap on moving his CARES package through the Congress on a, on a party-line vote, but moving it through. And I think he gets credit for what he was uh, elected to do, and that is uh, move us to the next step on, on COVID and CARES and getting us into opening up the economy again. He's also uh, had extensive use of executive orders. This is we've seen this now uh, exceeding each uh, a new president coming in, putting more and more executive orders. Most of these canceling out executive orders that President Trump had done. So when President Trump took out the pen, President Biden has now used the eraser on things from the Paris Climate Accords, the XL pipeline, uh, gender in the military uh, and the like. In short, he's he's done what he said he would do. And so I think from that extension, he's had a pretty good 90 days in terms of executing uh, what he said he would do. There are political ramifications to this downstream. and I think he's got a tough 90 days ahead. uh, But uh, um, I think for the first 90 days, you know, he he gets good marks.
5: It's Ron Klein. I'll just we'll just go Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican for a second here. So I'll just pick up uh, a little bit, a little bit of what Jim Davis said, and that is, you know, what they you call it, a wartime president, whatever it may be. I would say the big difference this time around is he inherited not only the COVID problem, the, the economy obviously struggling, but a really deeply divided country. I mean, you know, when Obama won, obviously it may have been disappointing to a lot of people that he won and a lot of people were happy about it, but it was a little more of a slightly more normal environment at that time. Partisanship was, of course, already pretty much in place, but this is extraordinary. I mean, the, the election was set up has a very, very hard partisan edge. The country, you know, even our personal relationships are, are frayed because of uh, people views, one way or another, on Donald Trump. And so he probably was the only guy who could come in and beat Donald Trump because uh, he had sort of a, you know, a grandfatherly sort of, hey, let's come together. And he was authentic that people, he had lived a life and, and behaved a certain way over the years. Uh, in in a, in a bipartisan way. I'm sure we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I think he really came in and won a close election on that basis. But I think to Tom and Jim's point, the first 100 days is all about expectations. And although it may be an artificial timeline that's put out by the media or by candidates or opponents or whatever it is to measure, um, he set this up as his 100 days was going to be 100 million shots and ended up being 200 million 15. Uh, it's all about, you know, trying to get things back to normal. People are just, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they just want to get back to normalcy. And this is not a flip the switch on or off kind of, oh, we hit a certain point, it's all normal again. It's not. It's going to take time. It may even take years for us to get back to what we had pre-COVID. But I think he does get reasonably reasonably good marks for, uh, you know, promising certain things on that level and beginning to get the economy with the bill and checks in people's pockets back up and running.
6: I just want to put out a little bit of a comparison between uh, the Clinton administration, which started late in uh, putting together their pieces uh, for the transition, just based on the president's superstition of measuring the drapes. And so he really had a mess that kind of lost his 100 days. Uh, the Bush-Cheney, with Cheney as vice president, but also head of the uh, transition, had a pretty organized approach, adding uh, Andy Card, who had been in uh, Bush 41's administration. Obama's organization under Podesta was a good, structured organization, and it helped launch the Obama's 100 days. Uh, When you look at Trump, it was unorganized. It was laid. It shifted in gears. And so when you now look at the Biden administration, I think it's the best of all of them. It was organized. It was very disciplined. And if you look, both Democrats and Republicans have given high marks to what had been a started early transition that just launched him for the uh, 100 days. There were 1,100 political appointees sworn in on day one. And uh, I think Tom Davis talked about the executive order. So there were 42 executive orders in the first 100 days, which exceeded uh, even Trump, who was 33 and Obama, who signed 19, and George Bush, who signed 11. Uh, So he has been able to launch that with a signature item of uh, uh, what he was able to do on
1: the COVID package earlier uh, uh, in the start of his administration. So let me ask you guys on, on the sort of what got done, what didn't get done. You know, what do you think is is sort of most powerful in the accomplishments column and what most concerns you or where do you think sort of the biggest fall short is so far? This is Jim. I think you've got to go to the vaccine
3: distribution, Rich. In working with this White House after the election, they inherited a system they may not have necessarily set up, that each governor had a lot of prerogative, and they stuck with it and sort of um, soldiered through it. And the statistics speak for themselves today, particularly among the most vulnerable populations in terms of vaccination rate. Still a lot left to done, a lot of the harder stuff that needs to be done but it's contributed to saving lives, quality of life, and certainly affected the economy. So I think that's what I would give them a lot of credit for. And I would also say there's been a level of discipline by President Biden, both personally and as president that nobody had ever seen before. Now, on the downside to Ron Klein's point, This president clearly campaigned to bring the country together, and that is going to be a Herculean task. I think Washington is the last place you'll see bipartisanship. I think you'll see it sooner among mayors, governors, and citizens. And the other area I would cite to you is the problem at the border, which I know that Tom Reynolds and Tom Davis are going to talk about. I I do believe that that problem has been worse than the Biden administration anticipated. They knew it was going to be tough. They've inherited some things they're having to deal with. But I think that has been a big challenge and will continue to be a big challenge in terms of the president's focus and his agendas, both countries.
6: Tom or Tom, thoughts? One of the things I've noted that this president did during his campaign, um, his advisors tracked his promises uh, that he made as a way to formulate an early agenda for him. And so as he entered office, uh, they viewed the coronavirus as the most important that would be judged. Vaccinations, school reopenings and mass mandates. But he's got a long list of other promises and what he has outlined that he'd like to get done, uh, much as Tom Davis said in this next 100 days, it'll be telling what happens. And many uh, presidents have been plagued over the summers of their first year in, uh, in office. And so he's got climate change, gun control, tax policy, ending the foreign wars, which he's uh, put on the mark now for September, and immigration, as uh, Jim, you alluded to.
5: Tom, I think that's a good point. This is Ron speaking, and I think that's a good point. Um, listen, COVID obviously is is the big marker, and, and there's a lot of things related. It's not just the shots, uh, it's getting schools open. I mean, these are, if you think about what really affects people, you know, voters, families, people are really paying attention. They're not paying attention to politics, it's just how is their life being affected, childcare to families so that they can go back to work. Um, these are big things that are part of the big bill that passed. It, it didn't pass on a partisan basis, but it passed. Got fourteen hundred dollars into people's pockets. It's probably provided more stimulus for the economy. Uh, you know, rent. Uh, people weren't evicted. I mean, these are things that really disrupt people's lives. Not having cash to buy the necessities, whether it's food or anything else, being thrown out of an apartment. More stability. And I think that you know, that's it's it's not a it's not a you know headline story, but it's certainly something that people pay attention to. I, I think the climate uh, issue, climate and and making climate an economic issue, and as opposed to what, what all of us as members of Congress have been through forever is, oh, it's either you do something for your environment, or you if you do something for your environment, it's bad for the economy. If you do something for the economy, it's bad for the environment. That's, that's a ridiculous conversation, but it's been the conversation forever. And he's now talking about it. And hey, we can do things that are good for the climate that create jobs, jobs that you know, are based in the United States that's real. And I think that's something that he's put on the top order. But I think immigration certainly, is he didn't inherit it, but it, it certainly is not a good thing. And I don't think they're pro- properly prepared for it. This Tom Davis. I, I would just say that he
4: promised you know, to get COVID resolved. He is, I think, gone beyond expectations on that. He inherited a good situation. And you've got to remember that Operation Warp Speed made a lot of this available. But I think he's exceeded expectations in terms of the distribution, buying more vaccine, and now putting the country in a situation where we can help other countries with it. So I think he gets very high marks on that. And if there was one overarching issue in the campaign, it was probably that that he elected him out of outside of the fact that I think people were tired of uh, Donald Trump in their living rooms and just wanted a change and get somebody else and get no drama around it. I, I think the border has been a real problem for him. I think he's been ideologically inhibited in terms of some of the things that need to be done there, g- given his base. He's done a good job in uniting the Democratic base which has been very disparate. The media has talked a lot about the fiss- the fissures in the Republican party, democratic party has the same fissures and you, you've got to unite that before you can govern. And so he has been able to keep them united at this point, uh, even as the country remains divided now ahead of him, he's got this infrastructure bill. I, I think he's got some possibilities there to get a piece of that done in a bipartisan way. I don't think he can continue to move uh, Uh, you know, through on a party line vote in a number of these issues. There's just too many complications uh, with taxes and the environment.
2: And you guys have kind of brought this up or are looking at, you know, some of the accomplishments that the administration has taken on so far, but um, you know, kind of pivoting to Congress, what what measures or revenues do you guys think Congress is going to be able to move to? Especially as you're, you know, building upon what the administration has already done, but you know, some of the gaps or shortfalls we're seeing, you know, the context of immigration or infrastructure, or climate. You know, what do you what do you guys see is happening moving forward?
4: Let me start, if I can. This is Tom Davis, on on uh, if I can, infrastructure has been the bugaboo of several presidents. They have just not been able to move it through. Since President Obama moved a party line infrastructure uh, revitalization bill through in the first days of his administration. There have been attempts to do that. Uh, Number one, they brought back earmarks. This makes it attractive to uh, get members to vote for this. You have a huge gap right now in what is defined as infrastructure. I think that will be refined. But if you go back to the bricks and mortar and those kind of basic things, I think there will be a Republican buy-in and some of them will vote for some revenue increases. I think He's more likely than not to be able to get an abbreviated bill through on a bipartisan basis and then maybe come back if he thinks he can put the votes together and do it through the reconciliation party line process. But although America needs it, we've wanted it for a long time. Presidents haven't been able to get this through in over a decade, and it's badly needed. So I think the table is set for him if he's he's willing to compromise. I think the White House has signaled they are for at least a part of that. And I think that's going to be the next battle. Uh, through Congress, there are a number of Republicans now that have said they'll step up and vote for some revenue enhancement measures uh, if we keep it. If we define infrastructure more narrowly as traditional infrastructure, you will, know, highways, uh, bridges, those kind of things.
3: This is Jim, and let me agree with plenty of what Tom Davis just said. I think the key is going to be how you pay for this bill. That that is a much tougher issue than what you put in the bill. I think President Biden will probably achieve some uh, unanimity. Uh, Moving the country forward on broadband, for example, being treated as infrastructure, whereas five or 10, 15 years ago, we would not have thought about that as core infrastructure. But I think the, the defining aspect of this next bill, the American Jobs Plan, and the balance that has to be struck in the White House is to what extent are you willing to reduce the size and impact of the bill in return for building unity? And this will be a game of inches, and it ultimately is about the size of the bill and what goes into the bill and uh, President Biden's ability to negotiate, frankly, one by one with key senators like Senator Toomey, Senator Portman, and others who desperately need infrastructure for their states and can go home and defend a tax increase that uh, they may have voted to as a tax cut and promised in the past. So this is what the summer is going to be about. And uh, this will be a test of President Biden's ability to both uh, work with his colleagues in the Senate and also ultimately produce something that is impactful in terms of people's lives, which is one of the promises he made to deliver during these next two years. I
6: often think about the president's proposed and Congress disposes. And uh, what we're seeing has been outlined by my colleagues as to what the president's put out, the dialogue going among Democrats and Republicans. Everybody wants infrastructure. Nobody wants to pay for it. Uh, We have not seen uh, ways and means or Senate finance clearly come forward with their ideas of how to pay for what is roughly $4 trillion on the table. Uh, for consideration. We have seen good dialogue with uh, Senator Capito as the lead in dialogue with the Biden administration on infrastructure, but it's closer to what Tom Davis outlined as a more traditional infrastructure that we would relate to bridges, roads, and other infrastructure items. And so we've got a long ways to go. And I think this debate is going to go quite a while because we have not even seen leadership of the majorities in the House and the Senate lay out how they're going to tackle this. Is this going to be one bill? Is it going to be multiple bills? Uh, What about the debt ceiling? How is this all going to get packaged into the name of some sort of an infrastructure bill or jobs program? And so we've got a long ways to go. Congress is not unified, even on the Senate Democratic majority, to have 50 votes for whatever options reconciliation can do, let alone looking at how we're getting to the, the fact of a uh, compromise, because what the Republicans have put out is far less than
5: what the Biden administration would like to see done on infrastructure. This is Ron Klein. Um, well, first I want to point out that you have two Democrats and two Republicans who get along famously in this uh, at, at Holland and Knight, first of all, and uh, and obviously have a lot of a lot in common the way we're even presenting our answers here. but. I guess maybe the operative word is former members, as opposed to uh, the current people there that, that are can't seem to find their way together. But no, I, I think I think what's been said is correct. Um, you know, this is complicated. Uh, trans, the, the, the transportation infrastructure bill has always been roads and bridges, because an, um, half the Congress, the Republican side in the past, had signed this. Grover Norquist, we can't raise taxes or fees no matter what. We couldn't even raise the gas tax five cents. I mean, I'm not sure anybody would even know when ExxonMobil raises it or lows it five, six, seven cents one way or another, but we couldn't even do that as a matter of policy to pay for this stuff. And now we've moved on in many ways beyond just gasoline because there's gonna be electric cars and that's gonna impact how much revenue could even be raised by a gas tax. So those are factors that have to be paid for. But I think where Biden has taken the conversation, which I think is the right way to go, is this isn't just about roads and bridges and airports and rail. That is all part of it and we all understand that, but it yeah. is about, and I think someone already said broadband and it's broadband in rural areas. You've got a coalition here of urban cities that don't have access to broadband, totally exposed by COVID where kids had to be at home, they couldn't, they couldn't even access a computer or couldn't even access uh, internet services. So inner city and large parts of our country, which have no rural uh, broadband. So that's a nice fit where you bring uh, probably many Republicans, Democrats together and common ground on that. How about hardening of utilities? Uh, What happened in Texas and all over the United States? These are big infrastructure issues that really keep our, our economy going, whether it's training people or getting them to work every day. So I think those are big issues. Uh, the tax piece of it, how much they pay for it, what kind of numbers they use, whether it's just corporate tax or individual income taxes for people who earn over $400,000, how they play that out, it's obviously a long ways to go. But I think there will be pieces of the America Family Act, could be child care, could be earned income tax credit. I think there'll be some bipartisan pieces that come together here eventually. But it is someone, I think Jim said, game of inches. Uh, it, it is. But hard-fought negotiations coming. I, I think the country's ready for it
1: me try and uh, get down to the granular, you know, five second answers here. So if we go down the row here, give me a grade ABCDF for the first 100 days, and then give me a prediction. Are we going to get an infrastructure bill here? Let's leave aside the scope scale and what pays for it in the next 100 days. So uh, let's let's start out with Tom Reynolds. What's your grade and what's your prediction?
6: I think the president got an A for uh, the first 100 days based on the organizational aspect of what he put out. I do not believe we will see legislation that is passed by the Congress and signed by the president in the next 100 days as we look at his jobs program. This is going to go uh, far into later in the year.
5: Ron Klein. Uh, I would give him an A for uh, execution for the first 100 days. I mean, not everything's perfect, but I think the extremely well orchestrated, well organized, good good job on that. Uh, I do think we're going to have an infrastructure bill. It's not going to be what, what's out there on the table right now. It's going to be some scaled down version. It may pass by reconciliation eventually, and it may go all the way toward the end of the year and get bottled up with an appropriations bill or whatever else, but I do think we're going to do it. Tom Davis?
4: Well, I give him an A minus. I think uh, on the organizational side, what he said he'd do and what he's done, he's done very, very well with very few hiccups outside of the border, which I think has gotten uh, gotten away from him. I think we're going to get an infrastructure bill. I think it'll be scaled down. But I think it will be phase one and then Democrats can come back if they want with a different kind of infrastructure bill and have their vote and campaign on it. But it's not likely to go through on a party line vote. But-
1: uh, and Tim Davis.
3: Yeah, uh, another A. And I just want to say one more time, we're seeing a remarkable level of discipline from both this president and the way the White House the administration is running. And I believe that will continue. And so that's why I also agree with Tom Davis and Ron Klein that more likely than not, we will see an infrastructure
1: bill before
5: the August recess. Rich, I would just say that uh, my namesake, Ron Klein, has done a really good job of running the White House.
1: <laughs> clean, clean, potato, patata. Right. All right, Devin, bring it in for a landing here.
2: All right. Hmm. So I guess we can end on um, big picture staffing with the agencies. Um, you know, action that he's taken. Do you guys see any shortfalls, at least from the staffing perspective, that the agencies where you're not seeing some appointments go through, or just seeing some slowdown there as far as appointments or anything in the space? You know, trade, foreign affairs, anything like that.
3: Uh, this is Jim. I'd say a couple of things. Uh, uh, discipline means making trade offs. I think one of the trade offs has been the State Department. This administration is running a little behind on ambassadorship appointments because it has not been a higher priority than getting Treasury together to work on tax proposals, getting DOT together to work on transportation issues, also dealing with the COVID. I also think this is an area where the president is going to be very hands on in terms of making personal decisions. We haven't talked about it much today. But this is also a very significant priority for this president, which is to re-engage globally as far as being part of a leader with our allies and finding ways to start working with countries we ignored or repudiated in the past.
4: I would just say for the president, he's got to be thankful he's got 50 Democrats in the Senate, or this, would, this transition would have been much, much more difficult in moving his appointees through. I think he would have been subject to a lot of vetoes by the Republicans. As a result, they've gotten a number of bipartisan votes. Uh, on their nominees, and I think they're moving those through uh, really pretty quickly, uh, given the change in rules and everything that you've got going. Mr.
5: Ron, Um, I I think that um, one thing we didn't really point out, but it's worth pointing out, is he promised a diverse cabinet, a, a cabinet of a lot of different backgrounds and experiences. He got it. He followed through on that, and uh, I think, and it's not just a question of putting different faces or backgrounds on it, it's talented people. but I think he accomplished that, and he showed that, you know, you can do that, and I think that's a positive thing for the country. He said it was going to look like the country, it does. So I think from that point, now those are the top people, you know, in the cabinet, the secretaries, and, and other positions, but I think he's got a long way to go, as all presidents do. There's a lot of positions to, to fill, but I think it's correct to say that if, if they require political confirmations, and you have 50 votes, which is not, not a lot to spare, but for the most part. Or you can move it along uh, at, at a pace.
6: He's getting his confirmations done. I think we're going to see some uh, look at uh, what he can do in the courts. We're going to see some judicial nominees uh, coming forward and uh, the Senate looking to try to confirm those to begin to begin to put a democratic aspect to the courts uh, under the Biden administration. I think that'll start moving and uh, continuation of uh, the other appointments. And to Jim's point on the State Department, um, this president wants to go back to a more traditional career ambassadorships with some political appointments, but less than what the Trump administration did. And uh, I think he's sorting through that as he continues to rebuild the State Department in the vision he wants it in the global matters.
1: On behalf of myself and Devin Barrett, thanks, Ron Klein, Jim Davis. Tom Reynolds and Tom Davis for uh, joining us today, giving us their perspectives as former members of Congress on the first 100 days in the pathway going forward on infrastructure and taxes. Thanks for joining us today and uh, join us again soon on our next Holland and Night Eyes on Washington podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to an Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com ppr.